Well, you're in Romans chapter 15, and this morning I would like to read this text together, Romans 15, 1 through 13, and then I'll explain after we read this and pray together why we're looking here this morning. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Romans 15, 1 through 13, there it is. All right, let's read this together in unison. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even He who arises to rule the Gentiles, in Him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come together as Your family around Your Word this morning, we pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit. Fill us as we speak. Fill us as we hear. As we think together about Your Word and what it calls us to. Fill us with hope and joy and peace in believing Your Word and in believing the power of the Gospel and the work of Jesus Christ among us. As we look at the particular verse 7, Father, give us hearts to see Your will for us in welcoming one another. And in doing so, as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Father, put these pieces together in our hearts. Form within us conviction and desire and obedience and the ability to work this out with fear and trembling for Your glory. Enable us by Your Spirit to follow this Word, both in the practice of it and the believing of it and taking it all to heart and being filled with Your truth in love. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and for His glory. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This morning, it's my desire to touch on a specific need that I feel is worthy in in our local body of Christ. Most of the time, when I decide what to teach on Sundays, 
I, I follow two principles. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but I think it helps me to explain why we're going to talk about this particular uh, section of Scripture this morning. Usually I choose a book of the Bible based on what I understand our need to be in the body of Christ at large. And then secondly, I choose a book of the Bible based on what needs are addressed in the book of the Bible particularly, and how the Holy Spirit gives me light and understanding and illumination. I usually pursue those, those texts where the Holy Spirit is illumining me to address a particular need in the body of Christ. And so we'll, we'll you know, pick the, the letter of 2 Timothy, for example, and then we'll begin that and work through it all the way to the end. But from time to time, <clears throat> occasionally when I, when I see an area of need in the body of Christ as our local family is expressed here <clears throat> that needs particular feeding or tending or nurturing in some way, I'm compelled to interrupt a study and then tend that particular area of need. I mean, you, can, you can imagine that, particularly as it's illustrated in Scripture, between shepherd and a sheep, right? So you have a shepherd caring for a flock of sheep, and he feeds them a particular diet. And then when he sees a particular need in that, in that flock, well, he he maintains that need and cares for it according to their diet. And that's the way it is with elders and, and the flock of God. So, as you already know, we began this year with a particular emphasis on the Great Commission. January 1st, we talk about Matthew 28. And, and that particular area, the making of disciples, the proclamation of the gospel, I feel is a particular need that we all have. As a church, I think we need to grow in that way. I need to grow in that way uh, to be more effective and obedient in our, um, obe- in our fulfilling of the Great Commission. And that's why, like I said, we're, we're going to be focusing this year on that particular study, Discipleship, One-on-One, The Partner's Books. I hope that will be very helpful to all of us, a good way to apply the truths that we're learning. But closely associated with that theme I think is another area, one that I hope, again, will be helped and encouraged as we go through the discipleship uh, curriculum together, and that's the area of personal interaction for the glory of God. Um, You can see that as the title uh, at the top of the notes in our bulletin. I've entitled this particular message today, and I think it's going to go a couple of Sundays today and next week, Lord willing, personal interaction for the glory of God. And I don't think this is something we've talked about a whole lot. And so this particular message is going to be somewhat of a survey of biblical material on how believers are both, how they interact both with one another, fellow believers, and also unbelievers. And how our interaction together is very important for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe we have some growing to do there as the family of Calvary. Whether it's interaction with one another, or guests that come into our fellowship, or individuals in our community that we rub shoulders with from day to day. Think about this, dear ones. How we relate with people in our day-to-day interactions, our words, our faces, our attitudes, our personal expressions and postures toward them, in God's providence, can have a sizable impact, either positively or negatively, 
on them as they perceive the word of God and the gospel and the names of God. And so the main idea that, that I pray the Spirit of God will impress on our hearts today comes from verse 7 in this text. Please notice it. It says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. If you just stop and meditate on that short verse, you can see immediately that it is packed with very helpful truth for how we interact with each other. I want to consider a little bit more our need for this text, and then we'll begin to look at some of the words here in the context and also in other passages. I think sometimes local bodies like ours, who by God's grace, by God's Spirit, who have worked very hard to gain doctrinal purity and unity. We've talked about that a lot over the last 10, 11 years, right? Sometimes I think we have a, a tendency in our fallen humanness to overreact and become overly and unnecessarily critical and guarded and even suspicious of people we don't know, especially as they relate to the body of Christ, unbelievers or believers. And I think it's possible in Christ and even absolutely necessary to guard the gospel, maintain unity in the body of Christ, pursue holiness without being distant, self-protecting, and cold. I think those can happen together. Instead of seeing people as individuals who need Christ and His truth and ourselves as ones whom Christ has chosen to minister His truth and love to them, sometimes we can see others as a threat to our comfort. And we can become cold and distant and self-protective. And we can push away even opportunities to reflect Christ to others. Christ told us to serve in love, right? To speak the truth in love, to walk in wisdom, to walk in holiness, to be faithful in the gospel, to win unbelievers, to welcome other saints. But he didn't say that in that process, we wouldn't feel uncomfortable or even experience pain emotionally. Maintaining a doctrinal and practical unity in the body of Christ is not accomplished by our personal, maybe necessarily coldness or unwelcoming or inhospitality to those who are new to us. It's actually accomplished by following the instructions of Ephesians 4. Maintaining Christ-likeness in our doctrine and practice and attitudes even while speaking the truth and love to one another. I think we can do all those things at the same time as being winsome and welcoming toward others in our lives and in our gatherings. Sometimes, I think this can be true of us, sometimes we might not even realize that we can be cold toward others or critical in our personal interaction. Sometimes that sort of interpersonal response, we might say, is native to our personality. Have we ever thought like that? Well, that's just, that's just what they're like. That's their personality. Well, that's just my personality. And here's the fact of the matter is, is that Christ calls us and enables us by His Spirit to grow beyond our fallenness and our frailty in our personality to reflect His likeness. That's true for every one of us. 
We're not called to be like our natural selves, right? We're called to be in the image of Christ. And he promised to create us, to recreate us. In fact, Ephesians says, to recreate us by his spirit into his image. So let me place this truth. Let me place what I'm talking about for you. Maybe, so, so when Christ brings you to another person, think about this in your own day-to-day life. Maybe he brings to you a new person, someone at work. Maybe it's not even a new person. Maybe it's someone that you've sort of rubbed shoulders with from day to day, but then you begin to see, well, wow, they're, they're a person that needs Christ. When you, when you interact with a person, even a new person, someone at work, someone in the store, someone at your home, uh, someone in your church gathering, someone at a, a sporting event or a recreational event, uh, at a restaurant, at a school, at a co-op, whatever scenario you find yourself in. And, and maybe it's a person that is different than you are in some way or that I am. And there are many ways that we can be different from one another that make us feel uncomfortable. Are you then, in your personal interactions, guarded or welcoming? Hurried. I've got to get on to the next thing. Or are we personally hospitable? Are we cold or warm-hearted? Task-oriented or people-oriented? It's so easy to just be focused on getting something done and missing the importance of the people around us, right? We're like that. I'm like that. Fearful or loving. Sometimes fear of others in some way. There's There's a various amount of different ways that we can feel a fear or timidity with people, and that can cause us to be cold and distant, can't it? Fear can make us like that. Or are we loving? Are we self-satisfying when we interact with people? Or are we others serving? Now, I know that we may be thinking as we walk through this, but there are some dangerous predatorial people out there. I don't know how many of you have just thought of this while I'm talking about this, right? It might have come to somebody's mind. And Christ sent out his disciples telling them that they're to be wise as serpents, right? And of course he has. That's absolutely true. But Christ also, remember, told his disciples in that same sentence to be what? Harmless as doves, too. And that's an interesting combination, isn't it? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves? How does that go together? Right? So based on that, I believe it's possible by God's grace to be wise and watchful at the same time as being warm and winsome and welcoming for the sake of Christ. Those two responsibilities are not mutually exclusive. They can work in tandem. Let me give you an illustration of something like this that has happened to the historic church. Think about it this way. Who will Christ use to win what our society may often view as the chief of sinners? Who's to speak the word to them? Who's to win them to Christ? Is it not us, the church? We can't depend on the world to give them the gospel. Which is actually the title that who in the scriptures gave to himself? The Apostle Paul, right? And the church was afraid to welcome him at the start. Do you remember that? 
Isn't that fascinating to think about? The Apostle Paul, the church, was terrified. In fact, you remember the man whom God told to go and welcome Paul. And he's like, you got, you got to be, I don't remember the exact words, but he's like, not Paul. This guy's been killing people. He's been killing the church, and I'm supposed to go and welcome him into the body? You've got to be crazy. No, and God just opened his mind and said, no, I have much for him to suffer and do for my name. That's the story in Acts 9. So who will Christ use to win and then welcome the Pauls of this world? He will use us by his Spirit. He will bring us along, as he did Ananias, to win and welcome people like Paul into the body of Christ. And just consider again the, the edifying works that God had purposed for Paul to do for his name. And so by the power of Christ's Spirit, may we learn to be winsome and welcoming while being wise and watchful at the same time. We, the church, are called to wisely win the unbeliever and warmly welcome fellow believers for the sake of Christ. And this is why we come to this text. That's the main idea that we're going to look at these next couple of weeks. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the main idea. And we're going to take this short verse in three pieces in order to gain an understanding of what it means to welcome one another. And sometimes, as the Bible talks about these personal interactions, sometimes they refer to how we interact with other believers. Some of the words we're going to look at talk about that, but some of the words talk about how we interact with unbelievers. And really, the Bible kind of makes a distinction between those two often. And so we'll try to look at that and see just what the Scriptures have to say to us about this particular situation. So we're going to take this short verse in three pieces, and, and, and the outline is there in your notes. It's very clear. Number one, we're going to look at the actions of welcome, which is really the first section of the verse. Therefore, welcome one another. What does that mean? And then second, Paul gives us really, and it could go either way with this, the motive and the attitude of welcome. Why am I to welcome, or how am I to welcome, as Christ has welcomed you? And then he gives a real wonderful mission and purpose and goal behind living this way, which is for the glory of God, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I, my plan is to look at just this first point today, and then look at the second two points, Lord willing, next week. So let's look at this. Number one. The actions of welcome. What are the actions of our welcome? Let's start by asking the question, how ought we to be when we interact with another believer, whether familiar to us or a stranger to us? There's four words I want to look at in the New Testament that describe a believer's actions with another believer. And what we'll see is it's not just believers we know well, but actually professing believers we don't know very well. And then the last two words that we're going to look at deal with how we are to interact with unbelievers. I want us to look at the context of Romans 15, 7 here. This is a, we're not going to look at it in great detail, but I want to just pull out some of the phrases to get kind of the sense of what Paul is saying when he talks about welcoming one another. Look at this, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with 
the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then he gives this model of Christ's life. Christ didn't please himself. In fact, he bore with so much sorrow and grief as he lived with us and, and, and worked for our good and our salvation. In verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you this ability then to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here this welcoming. What does it mean to welcome? If I look at the definition of welcome, I see that it means to take to oneself, to take as one's companion, to take by the hand in order to lead even. To receive into one's home sometimes it means. With, with kindness to receive and grant access even to one's heart. To take into friendship. It is the will of Christ that growing believers welcome other believers, even new and what we'll see here, immature believers into their fellowship. In fact, it says here, strong and weak are together. Strong believers are to welcome weak believers into their fellowship. This next, this next section here talks about Gentiles and Jews. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you, Christ became a servant to the circumcised. There's religious people. Believers who were previous religious are to welcome new believers who were previously pagan even into their fellowship. We're, it doesn't matter what the previous life was. If they're in Christ, we welcome them. Gentiles were affected by Christ's service and His work. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. All of us are to welcome one another and bear with one another's failings. You see that? Those are some of the reasons why we keep people at a distance. You're different than me. You're weak in conscience. You, you have a lot of struggles. You have a different background than I do. You were... You were legalistic. You were a pagan. Whatever. There's lots of reasons why the early church tended to keep one another at an arm's distance. But in Christ, we're to serve one another and bear with one another. We do that by imitating the passion of Christ. Not to please Himself, but to work for the good of others. To build up others in holiness and their relationship with God through Christ. That's the whole point of welcoming one another. To be used by Christ to build up others in Christ for the glory of God. We're to welcome one another and live in harmony with one another and grow up in Christ together so that together we may glorify God for His mercy to us in Christ. And that's, that's really, we're, and we're going to get to that. That's the ultimate ambition of welcome. It's pulling people in. Because together, God will use us, one another, to build others up in Christ so that there will be a body of people who see the mercy of God given to them in Christ and praise Him for it. And isn't that the whole point of redemption? Let's look at some of the main words the New Testament uses to describe how we are to interact with others. 
starting with the word welcome. There's some other instances of this word welcome. We'll look at six words here. Welcome, greet, receive, show hospitality, be impartial, win. These are some gold words for us. There's a few different Greek words that are translated welcome, and we'll just kind of go and walk through some of these words together and get a sense of them. Matthew 25, 35 to 36, Jesus is speaking to those whom he has brought before his judgment seat, and he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I see the welcome here as eagerly accepting someone because God has ordained that we meet their needs. That's a reason for welcoming someone. And what's amazing about this particular section is that Christ says there in verse 40, and the king will answer him, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Christ sees this sort of activity interpersonally as done to him when we do it to one another. And even those whom many others, is that what Jesus means by the least of these? Those that would be so easily cast aside and neglected. He receives it. He receives our ministry to one another like this as if we're doing it to him. Alistair Begg tells a story of when he was, or maybe a friend of his was in seminary and he was ministering in a church and one of the elders of the church asked him, I want you to go and just read the scriptures to, this, to some of these, these very elderly folks in a retirement home. And he would go and sit and read the scriptures to them. And most of the time, as he's reading the scriptures, the person he was sitting with would simply fall asleep. And he would be frustrated by this. Is this the ministry that I'm preparing for? And the elder reminded him of this text and says, you know, ultimately your ministry is to Christ. This dear brother or sister who's nearing the end of their life, you're ministering to them, even though they fall asleep, but ultimately... Christ is receiving this as to himself. So welcome can be eagerly accepting someone because God has ordained us to meet their needs. It's the whole verse filled with meeting someone's needs and even people, other believers, because they're brothers, that we don't even know very well. That's what God has called us to. Here's another text of welcome that puts a little bit different motive behind our doing so. Acts 18, 27 to 28, and when he, referring to Apollos, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through place, through grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. I find this a very interesting account of the early church welcoming another brother. And we see this throughout the New Testament. One church group or person writing to another church saying, please welcome this brother, welcome this sister, and giving a recommendation for the very important activity in the body of Christ. Well, in this case, what we see here 
is one body of people in Achaia welcoming Apollos, even though he was new to them, and it was a great help to them in their church. I find that very interesting. Why should we welcome one another? Because we don't know who God may have appointed to come and be a help and a blessing to us in the ministry of Christ. Here's another text. Romans 14.1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. We're called to eagerly be accepting someone even with different opinions, different preferences, and weaknesses, because God will use us to build one up one another and strengthen one another and, and educate our consciences according to the Word of God. That's an important part of the ministry of the body of Christ. But first, it's important to welcome and not to quarrel. A very important ministry in the body of Christ that comes from welcoming one another. God has appointed us to this. 3 John 1, 8-10 Therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Now, this is kind of a negative example, but it's instructive to us. Welcome means to eagerly accept others in humility and service for possible gospel partnerships. Now, we went through the letter of 3 John a few years ago, and what we learned is that there was this guy named Diotrephes who liked to control he liked control. He liked to be the preeminent one. And what ended up happening is that he wasn't welcoming other brothers into the fellowship there, particularly brothers who were fellow workers for the truth and who should have been welcomed and supported and encouraged and, and worked together with this particular body of Christ for the sake of, of, of the gospel. And so we can learn to welcome others because God may put us together with other believers for the sake of gospel proclamation, fellow workers for the truth, rather than saying, no, we've got to keep everything under our personal control and refuse to welcome brothers. Very instructive text. Now, here's another word that the Scriptures talk about as our personal interactions with fellow believers. It's the word greet. Have you ever looked up all of the references in the New Testament to the word greet? And how important do we take that simple activity of greeting others? That's something that's not as important in our society. Now, when you think of early church, Middle Eastern, New Testament greetings, what do you see in your mind? Ah, you know, all this kind of, it was very important to them. Well, that's not us. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't have to be. I'm not recommending we start doing this Middle Eastern sort of embracing of one another. But I want you to think of the purpose behind it and the meaning and the importance of it in the body of Christ. Greet, an expression. What I see here, first of all, in this text is it is an expression to honor God's gracious work in people's lives. This is fascinating. You look at Romans 16, 
and you see the Apostle Paul making a point to greet people by name, and then he follows up that personal greeting with what God has done in their life, through their life, and even in partnership with the Apostle Paul. It's absolutely fascinating. That is meaningful. Greet Prisca and Aquila for my, my, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Isn't that something? Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who, is, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet as in as Syncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogolus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. He goes on in, this, in, the, in the next section to continue. And he says in verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Quartus, greet you. You know what we see here is a record of God's gracious work in and through people. This is profound. It's Paul saying to them, I know you. I value you in Christ. And I honor God's grace at work in you and through you toward me and toward others. That's all wrapped up in this greeting thing. Right? It's saying it's, it's what's behind the greeting. When we, when we meet one another, fellow believers, it's like, I know you. You're in Christ. God is at work in you. You've been a blessing to me. I want to be a blessing to you. Isn't that what greeting means? Think about it. Think about it. I know you. I have affection for you. We have something in common. We have Christ in common. We have the calling of Christ in common. And I want to encourage you. Greeting one another is forgetting ourselves. It's being attentive to someone else. It's acknowledging them with affection and embracing whatever opportunity of ministry may be open to us even right at that moment. That's greeting. Forgetting ourselves attentive to someone else, acknowledging them with affection, and open and ready for an opportunity of ministry. Greet one another. The opposite of that is ignoring each other, right? 
not having an interest, being guarded and cold. Right? This is such an important part of the body of Christ, an expression to honor God's gracious work. You see this also at the end of Paul's last letter. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Remember? Remember what Paul said? We went through that. Onesiphorus was that last man who ministered to Paul in Asia. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Tropimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greeting to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Right? This, is, this is a family thing that we have in common. And you know what? We saw this in previous texts, but Paul commands this of the churches. It's interesting. It's that important to Paul. He says, greet one another. And he says, with a holy kiss. Take it like this. It's an expression of unity and affection in Christ. Sure, nobody's going to be kissing each other. And maybe some of you might, and some of the ladies or whatever. But here's the point. What expression of affection is appropriate that comes with the greeting? That's what Paul's commanding here for us. All the brothers send you greeting. We have, we're, we're brothers. We're brothers and sisters. You know, it's interesting. Think about this for a minute. Jesus said there's going to be no marriage and giving in heaven in marriage, right? What will be our family in heaven? Us. The people of God. Those who are in Christ. That will be our family. We'll have one father. We'll have a brother. Jesus Christ, and we'll have each other. And that's the way we're to live now. That's what this greeting is about. It's an expression of unity, of fellowship, of commonality in Christ that, that is more important than anything else. An affection, an expression of affection. You see it here, finally, brothers. And look at, look at the context of this section on greeting. Look at the context. It, it's a huge emphasis on unity in the body of Christ and working through those things that, that want to disrupt unity. Well, you can't, you can't actually, think about it this way. The Lord's table is a, is a moment of a meal with the body of Christ that helps us to think about our unity together, right? We all come around the unity that Christ has created for us. And you know what? Greeting is meant to do the same thing. We can't greet one another with the freedom and, and ex- unity and the expression of affection unless we are actually in unity with each other, right? That's something. It's a little bit of a test. And we all feel that when you're, when you're kind of, uh, your relationship is a little rocky with someone in the body of Christ and you say, uh-oh, I, they're coming through the door and I, there's nowhere to hide, right? And, so, and it's a little bit difficult to say, hey, how are you? and actually experience fellowship and unity and affection there. So it's a, it's, it's a great context for this command. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. That's a helpful word, too, because we, we can't always force that, can we? But we can certainly aim for it. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 21 and 22. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now that is an interesting greeting too, because remember, this is Paul in Philippians. He's chained up under house arrest. He just led a bunch of people in Caesar's household to Christ while he's you know, under house arrest. He's probably not chained, but he's captive to the house. And, and there they are greeting the brothers in Philippi. 1 Thessalonians 5.26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Expression of unity, brothers. Expression of affection. However that is appropriate for us. Hebrews 13.24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy, send you greetings. 1 Peter 5.13 and 14, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Expression of personal knowledge and attention. Again, I like the context that that the Apostle John weaves into this command to greet. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Isn't that an interesting command? Did you ever think of greeting one another as so important? And even by name. How in the world? Right? How, do you, how can you remember everyone's names? That's part of the overflow of the affection of Christ that comes in our lives. When we love people, when we love one another in the body of Christ and we pray for one another by name and by need, you will remember each other. Isn't that important? That's important. I know you, right? That's, that's what greeting means. I know you. I have affection for you. We have something in common and I want to encourage you and minister to you. That's all wrapped up in greeting. Another word, receive. Joyfully take someone into fellowship because of God's gracious work through them. This is an interesting command we see in the Scriptures, an example that we can take to heart. This is is Paul encouraging Epaphroditus to be received by the Philippian church. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Receive one another because of God's gracious work through them in the body of Christ. Honor them in that way. Honor them by receiving them. Here's another example of this, but a little bit different. This is joyfully taking someone into fellowship because of God's gracious work in them. Here's what's going on here. Philemon is being written to by Paul because his slave, Onesimus, has run away. And he came to Paul while Paul was in house arrest in Rome. And while Onesimus was there with Paul, Paul led him to Christ. And now Onesimus is coming back to Philemon asking forgiveness for what he had done in sin against Philemon. And so Paul writes to Philemon and says, Receive this, brother. 
He is a real brother now. He is forgiven. Will you forgive him too? Receive him back. So that's what Paul says. So if you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Isn't that something? That's part of personal interaction in the body of Christ that is important to our Savior. The last word that speaks of the interaction between believers that we're going to look at is show hospitality. And we see it here in Romans 12 as simply discovering the needs of those you don't know very well and working to meet them. Why do I say those who don't, we don't know very well? I want you to remember that what the word hospitality actually means. This word means, hospitality literally means to love the stranger. That's what it means. That's the definition, to love the stranger. The church of Jesus Christ is called to be a family of people who love strangers and even care for their needs simply because of our love as members in the same family of God. Now, the times that I see the New Testament using the word hospitality, it seems to be between believers, or at least professing believers, even when they are new to each other. That seems to be most of the case here. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Again, that's another word for, for a believer, the ones who are set apart from the world unto Christ. It's also an essential quality for church leadership and therefore a priority. You see it in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 7 and 8. It's an essential quality of an elder. He must be hospitable. You can see it in both texts. So it's obviously an important quality for the Christian life. It's an honorable quality of godly women in the body of Christ. Remember this text? We went through 1 Timothy 5. Having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. Loving strangers is an expression of family love and empathetic ministry to those who suffer. You see that in Hebrews. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's almost double there. Right? Don't forget to love the strangers to strangers. For there some have for they for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Please remember in this context that in the days of the early church, as we've talked about this before, that suffering and persecuted believers would go from house to house in order to stay safe for as long as Christ would have them. And so you never know who would end up in your home for an evening meal and an, and an overnight. Do not neglect to show hospitality and exercise that remembering those who are in prison. Care for people's needs, right? Welcome them into your life and care for their needs. That's hospitality. As though you're in prison with them. Isn't that, isn't that how we minister to one another? Let me think, what will they need? If I put myself in their place, if I put my feet in their shoes, what would I need? And those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body, the body feels what other members feel because we're united by the Holy Spirit. Show hospitality. Joyfully seek to serve others, strangers included, by the grace of God. 
1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. And I put this by the grace of God because God promises to strengthen us in these interpersonal efforts for the sake of Christ. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, that's an important part. As each has received a gift, he's still talking in the same vein of ministry in the body of Christ, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, which, and certainly, hospitality could give opportunity to both speak and serve, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is a blessing to know that as we seek to serve others and love the stranger and love one another in hospitality as well, that God won't leave us to ourselves with that. He strengthens us. He will give us what we need to do that. I think I'm going to stop here and we will pick up here next week and we'll look at, we'll look at the two words that describe our interaction with unbelievers as well. And we'll, we'll seek to, to know what the Lord would have for us there. Let's all stand and we'll pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, having heard your word, can certainly confess to you that we all fall short of what you call us to in our personal interactions. We long to we long to be like Jesus. We long to be like Jesus in this way, Father. Let these texts fill our minds over this next week. May we meditate upon them. Pull them up and, and read them and think about them. Father, give us insight. Give us insight. And, and, and more than just information or intellectual knowledge here with these texts. Father, give, take these texts and put them into our hearts. We confess to you that without you, we can do nothing. We know, Father, we confess to you that we are, we are branches on the vine of Christ, that his life must be lived through ours. But thank you that we are crucified with Christ and that we live in Christ and so help us to live this life in the flesh, not by our own strength, but by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, we ask you, as we've just begun to look at these texts, please teach us what it means to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for your glory. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.